0: Welcome to the Doctrinal Component with Tom Nettles, brought to you by Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries is a reformed teaching organization committed to the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. For more teaching material by Dr. Nettles, please visit founders.org. Hello, this is Tom Nettles, and welcome to this edition of the Doctrinal Component. We're talking about the value of a confession of faith as we move toward a discussion of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, a confession of faith that is called the mystery of godliness. So I want to pick right up with another, uh, my perception of another value of a confession of faith, is a confession gives expression to one's loyalty to the Bible as the word of God. Uh, in seeking to give some place to all biblical ideas scattered throughout the canon we show a commitment to the entire witness of Scripture. B.H. Carroll was a Baptist preacher who founded the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he contended that a confession of faith should grow uh, in its number of articles and in the detail of each article until it is able to incorporate every single assertion, assertion of Scripture. Now, of course, he probably is using a bit of hyperbole there, because if we incorporated every single assertion of Scripture, then we probably would come out with something that was absolutely too large for anyone ever to, to use and to study. But the point that he was making was that there's nothing in Scripture that is not consistent with the teachings that we have in a good confession of faith. A good confession of faith organizes the Bible in a way in which it shows our loyalty to Scripture, that we believe the Bible is indeed consistent, that it is inerrant, that it does not have any errors uh, in it. And so we we seek some place for all the biblical ideas. And as we synthesize these doctrines, we find something about the doctrine of creation from beginning to end. We find something about the doctrine of the need for a redeemer, Redeemer. Uh, From beginning to end, we find something about the attributes of God and the wisdom of God and the power of God from beginning to end. Uh, And a confessional article can be distributed with large numbers of of proof texts in order to support those perceptions we have of that development of doctrine. Uh, In fact, there are some people that talk about proof texts. uh, when uh, When the Westminster Confession of Faith was originally written, Some people argued against using proof texts because people would think that the doctrine doctrine was built only upon those particular proof texts, only upon those scriptures that were listed, when, of course, the, the implication is that each article of the confession is consistent with the entirety of the Bible, that there are myriads of other scriptures that could be set there in order to support the particular doctrine that was being synthesized and discussed in the respective articles. Nevertheless, though, the, the proof texts are valuable, uh, and the confessional article itself is a witness to uh, our loyalty to the Bible as the Word of God. We want the entire witness of Scripture to be uh, expressed. Another value of a confession of faith, is that a confession serves as an aid in biblical interpretation. Uh, If we think that we have organized a confession of faith that is consistent with the whole teaching of Scripture, uh, we realize that there are going to be some Scriptures that are not as plain as others. As one confession of faith says, uh, all Scriptures are not alike plain in themselves. And so in order to find out the meaning, we compare Scripture with Scripture. We use the analogy of faith, that is, uh, in order to come to a proper understanding of scriptures that seem to be difficult to understand. And the advantage of this is not only do we understand the difficult scripture once we have given uh, our mind to it and have uh, applied every principle of interpretation that is, uh, that is consistent with the, uh, with the harmony of scripture, Uh, but also we perhaps add something to, a nuance to the doctrine uh, that we might not have considered before. For example, if you start with Genesis 3.15 and the promise uh, that the the seed of the woman uh, will crush the head of the serpent while the serpent bruises the heel of the seed of the woman, uh, that standing by itself seems to be rather enigmatic. But as we go through Scripture and we see the prophecies about the Messiah, we see uh, the necessity of the sacrificial system as a witness to how redemption will be carried out. Uh, We look at the prophecies of Isaiah and perhaps go to Isaiah 53. And it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, We look at Christ's own witness that he came to be to give his life a ransom for many. We see the great praise that we have in the book of Revelation to the to the lamb that was slain to redeem people for God. And so you begin to build a doctrine, and all of those doctrines help us understand what was at stake in Genesis three, fifteen. Or you have a statement Jesus made made like, The Father is greater than I. Well, that is a standalone statement, uh, could be Uh, used to say, well, the, the Son is not of equal essence as the Father. The Father is God. The Son is somehow a lesser being, perhaps a created being, but certainly not as great as the Father in his essence. Well, as we read the entire scripture, we see that Jesus himself is the one through whom all things were created. Jesus himself is called Lord. Jesus himself is called God. Jesus himself exhibits all the powers of deity, and he claims the powers of deity when, he's tell, when he claims the power and the right to forgive sins. And as we begin to, to build the doctrine, we see the confessional article that has synthesized all these ideas and affirms the full deity of Christ and his full humanity uh, and the necessity of his obedience to the Father in order to achieve a righteousness by which sinners can be justified. And then we begin to look at This statement, the Father is greater than I, in its context, uh, and we realize that he is talking about the necessity of Jesus in his humanity being subservient to the will of the Father, doing the will of the Father, though he never had a moment in which he did not want to do the will of the Father. Uh, But it gives us a picture into uh, the condescension and the humiliation That the Son of God underwent. Uh, He did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped and held on to. The glory of it was not something that he exhibited here except on rare, rare occasions. And so we we learn something of what he means when he says the Father is greater than I. Or perhaps when he said to the rich young ruler, Why do you call me good? There's none good but God. Was he disclaiming at that time to be God? No, not at all. The confession of faith again, as it synthesizes all of these scriptures, gives us a solid background from which then we can approach a passage like that to set it in context and to gain some nuance of uh, what Jesus was talking about when he told the rich young ruler that actually he was claiming to be good. He was claiming to be the one who was the good master because he was the one that understood righteousness and he is the one that would lead us uh, to God Uh, the rich young ruler had recognized that but he didn't really know how much what he was saying when he called him good master or you have a passage like Hebrews 6 6 when it talks about those who have tasted of the heavenly gift and were once enlightened but then have fallen away it is impossible to renew them again to repentance well is this talking about people who actually have been converted is it talking about people who actually have repented of sin and placed saving faith in Christ? Is it talking about people who have been regenerated? Is that what the word enlightened uh, means? It, it means that they have been partakers of the Spirit. Uh, is that mean that they have been regenerated and born again and yet they fall away? Well, the confessional article on perseverance would synthesize these ideas and give us a a foundation from which to examine that particular passage of Scripture much more carefully. So we're committed to the idea that Scripture does not contradict itself, that it does teach that those who are genuinely born again will persevere to the end by God's grace because he who began the good work in them will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And the confession helps us deal with these kind of difficult passages, as it opens up to us this principle of interpretation known as the analogy of faith. Well, these are some of the things that I think are are ideas that are va- show the value of a confession of faith. And we're soon going to begin looking then at First Timothy three sixteen. Look at, look at its form and look at its content and I will we'll begin that with the next edition of the doctrinal component now thank you for being with me on this edition